now in Alberta, this is in operation. Now, the problem with the, that thesis is this. What atheists don't realize is that they bring their religion of atheism in place of what they're trying to replace. It's illogical. Are you following me? They're just saying our form of religion is better than your form of religion. You're saying, well, they don't have a religion. They do have a religion. They have a worldview. They have a storyline by which they operate. Are you following me? This is happening in our world today, guys. You can't get away from it. And uh, maybe it'll give you a little bit more understanding to not be so adamant or vehement against people on Facebook because they're operating out of their worldview. That's just the way life is today, guys. We could talk about so many other things. We could talk about polytheism, the Hindu belief, pantheism, the force is with you. You ever watch Star Wars? I am your father. Yeah, that's good stuff. But, but understand, it's actually setting forth a worldview. It's putting forth a worldview. And that's, I'm just letting you know that's what's happening in our world. Panatheism, which is mean everything is God. That's a worldview that operates in much of the world. Deism, that God exists, but he's very indifferent. He just kind of wound up the universe and he left it alone and he doesn't get involved. And he's kind of an absentee father. And so many people believe in that kind of understanding. And then we come to theism, which really the major world religions, two major world religions, well, really three, actually would fall under a theistic thinking, that God is present. Uh, he's not only, he's not only uh, you know, omnipotent, and he's not only in existence, but he also comes close to us. And so our worldview is a thing called Christianity. And so we have this story by which we operate. Now, I'm going to just challenge some of us Christians. You know that many Christians don't even operate from a theistic point of view. They actually have a mixed and a blend of different thoughts. And this is why it's important for you to understand and to get this, that, that really you live by a story. And what is your story? What is the story of Christianity? Now, let me tell you how intrinsically this works. How many of you ever watch a thing called television? Any? Everybody has. Okay, good. I'm assuming. So, but understand, you know when you're watching something and you think it's funny, but you also know there's something wrong with this. You ever been there? You're kind of like, mm, I don't know if I totally agree with what they're putting forward here. Do you understand what's happening is your worldview is being pressured by another worldview. And so you need to understand and discern that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, with entertainment. I love entertainment. But understand you have to be discerning even in your entertainment. That there are messages that are being pushed and put forward. Uh, I was just talking with Cole and Michaela, and they were talking about what was the name of the show that you were watching that they were putting forward all kinds of interesting messages within the storyline? Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Very funny show, but all of a sudden they turned and they started to introduce worldview. And that's what happens. Just get it. it it's, it's part of what occurs in your life. So what's the Christian story? Well, let's find out because you are living by this Christian story whether you realize it or not, or you should be as a believer. Number one is how are things supposed to be? How are things supposed to be in your life and in my life? Well, understand that you and I are created in the image of God. Every single human being you meet is an image bearer. 
Every person has a reflection of the signature of God on their lives. And and so we understand that intrinsically we're created by God. And here's the thing that you need to understand about Christianity more than anything else. You are actually created for relationship with God. You're created to have a relationship with God. This was always God's intention, that mankind would live in relationship with him, that they would live in relationship correctly with one another because they know that they're loved and accepted and created by God. They're fearfully and wonderfully made and they're to live in this incredible harmony and peace with God, with themselves, with each other and the world around them. This is a good story to live by, amen? This is a good story that we are to live our lives by. And then we're created by God to steward or manage the world. He said, I've set you in, in the place, a little garden called the Garden of Eden. I want that garden now to grow, to expand, to cover the earth, to bring the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, God's love for humanity. This is the heart and intention of God, is that I'm to live my life in service of mankind because God has positioned me to bring his kingdom to bear in this world. It's a good story, church. But what went wrong? What's, what's wrong? Something happened to wreck the story, to twist the story, to cause the story to go off kilter. And for the Christian, this is very unique. I want you to understand. For the Christian, we understand that that thing is a thing called sin. And sin is very, uh, it's, see, the problem is, it, this is the problem in our world today. The whole world is pointing at other things as the problem. The whole world is saying, oh, our whole problem is that we, we have, you know, massive environmental issues. And, and, we, and we do. And the whole world is saying, you know, the problem is capitalism. And then this group says, the problem is education. But Christians say the problem is far more internal. It's not about the finger pointing out. It's about the four fingers pointing back. Amen? And that's actually a good analogy because, or three fingers, I guess. Um, That's a good analogy because the Latin word for sin is called incurvitis in se, which means to be curved in on self. That's what it means. Sin's definition is that I am constantly uh, curving in on myself and trying to interpret the world without a recognition of God. I'm trying to filter things and understand things in this world that point to me as the solution. How many of you know you're not the solution? Has anybody figured that out yet? But sin, this thing causes us to bend inward and we want to see the world through a lens that looks at our eyes as being the correct vision for this world. You know, there's an amazing thing in Remembrance Day service I shared this uh, when I was at, the, at the, uh, the cultural center here actually last week sharing that. And, and really, there's a scripture in the Bible that is very, very amazing. It talks about in Proverbs 29, 18. Without a vision of God, people cast off restraint. Do you know that that's actually engraved on the peace tower in our parliament? That's actually written right on the stone. If we lose a vision of God, this is what it's talking about. 
Without a vision, people cast off restraint. It's not talking about a vision of economic prosperity or a vision of of a greater education system. It's talking about a vision of God. And it's saying if if we lose our vision of God, we will begin to cast off restraint and head down a road that is not good. How many of you know that's a picture of our world today? There's a problem. Are you following me? There's a problem with things as they are. And what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, only the Christian worldview, check this out, only the Christian worldview locates the problem with the world, not as being any part of the world or any particular group of the world, but with sin. That everybody has a problem because of this thing was called sin, our loss of relationship with God. Let me just read this quote. If the gospel is true story, then God made a good world that was marred by sin and evil. But though through Jesus Christ, he redeemed it at the infinite cost to himself so that someday he will return and renew all of creation, all of suffering and death, and restore absolute peace, justice, and joy in the world forever. Amen? Amen? Okay, okay, well, that's the worldview from which you're supposed to be operating from. So amen, that's why you're here. Now, I love this. Tim Keller says this. Every other worldview ends up demonizing something that isn't bad enough to explain the mess we're in. And then we, we idolize something that isn't powerful enough to get us out of it. Isn't that a good quote? That, you know, we demonize things that are not powerful enough to explain the mess we're in. And then we idolize something that is not powerful enough to fix it. Listen to me, church. The answer is not political. The answer is not educational. The answer is not economic. The answer is the gospel. The gospel is the only answer for mankind. It's the only thing that makes sense. You know, and and really we live, you and I live from this narrative, this narrative of the gospel, and it's such a powerful narrative. There's no better story than the narrative of the gospel. Mitchell, it gets better. You shouldn't go anywhere. No, I'm kidding. You go ahead, go ahead. I know, yeah, it's good. It's my son. I'm just having fun with him. He's like, I've heard you talk about this before, Dad. Whatever. <laughs> There'll be a test later. My kids used to hate this because every day at church, after church, I'd say, what did God tell you today? They'd be like, Dad, you ask us that every week. Every week they said the same thing. They never got anything out of the service. So hopefully you're a little better than them. Uh, we're just having fun. Listen to this. Now listen to this. The gospel teaches us something. Here it is. The meaning of life is to receive God's love for you and in response to his love, love God in turn, love your neighbor as yourself and operate through the operating principle of servanthood. Receive the love of God. God loves you so much. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Receive God's love. And then from that point, from that place of operation, uh, in turn, return that love to God. And from loving God, start to love your neighbor as you love yourself and then serve the world. That's the gospel, guys. That's actually the message that you live by. This is how you are to go to work. 
If you want to know what God at work is all about, bring the gospel to work. And the gospel says, man, I am loved by God. God loved me. He redeemed me. He is for me. He is not against me. Wow, that you would come and rescue me, God, even though I'm curved in on myself, even though I'm broken, God, even though sin has captured my heart, you have turned me back toward you. Why do you worship? Why do you come here? Because you come here and you're curved in. And God says, I turn it outward toward you, Lord, and I worship you, God. It's an act of faith, church. Why is church so important? Because you're so self-centered. When's he going to get... Bring that nicer guy up, the funny guy. (laughs) You're to love God, guys. You love God because he first loved you. He gave you his, brought his son to turn you outward, to bend you from away from yourself toward him and to give you hope and to give you meaning and to give you purpose and to give you life. Hallelujah. See, we love God, church, because in this life we will have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this life. You're going to get sick at times. Things are going to happen that are not good. They're terrible because things are not totally redeemed yet. Christ is not ruling this world completely. Do you understand that sin is still affecting things in this world? But it doesn't mean that we can't bring the kingdom of God into our lives. This is the hope that we have, church. This is the story by which you live from. This is a good story. You are loved by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love God. Because one day, he is going to set things right again. Everything, every injustice, all brokenness, all hopelessness, all loneliness, all that diminishes life here on earth will be banned in eternity for eternity. Wow, what a story. What a story. You're to love God. And then secondly, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why can I love my neighbor? My neighbor drives me nuts. He never shovels his sidewalk. (laughs) I'm neighbors with my brother. And I have taken my snowblower and blown his snow off his driveway so many times. And as I watch him shovel from now on, I, I will sip delicious hot chocolate and wave. No, that's okay. I'll still serve him. Love your neighbor as yourself. And why can I love my brother Doug? Because he's a sinner just like me. You're following me? This is what God is saying. God is saying love your neighbor as yourself because he's no different than you. And why can I love someone whose worldview is completely different than mine, completely opposite of mine? As a matter of fact, we would never get along based on worldviews. But I would say to that person, you know what? God loves you and God has a plan for your life. And they would say, I don't even believe in God. And I'd say, it's okay. God believes in you. It's like the atheist son who's trying to convince his Atheist father who was trying to convince his son we don't believe in God. And so he's telling him all the arguments of atheism and, and uh, the son's listening to his father. And at the end of it, he says, Dad, does God know that we don't believe in him? 
Meditate on that. The Lord will give you some insight. So love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, when you go to work every day and every person that you see at work, that person who drives you crazy, that person who just seems so broken, that person that, you know, backstabs and gossips. And, and by the way, if, you're, if they're gossiping at work about other people when you're there, when you're not there, they're gossiping about you. Just want to put that out there. But love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's interesting. How many of you have ever heard of Kanye West? He's been on the radio a lot lately or been on the news a lot lately because he's made a massive conversion to Christianity. And uh, he's probably the number one rap artist in, in the world. He's one of the wealthiest rappers in the world. He's a multi-billionaire because of, of uh, you know, so many things. But it's interesting because the Christian church is responding both positively and negatively to Kanye West's conversion. They're responding negatively because they saw the life that this guy lived for so many years. So decadent, so anti-God, anti-Christ in the decisions that he made. So they want to live by that narrative. Are you following me? And they want to say, well, he can't possibly have converted. Wow. So it's interesting. I watched uh, him on airport airplane karaoke because... A guy named James Corbin does this thing called car, carpool karaoke, but he couldn't get Kanye West in a car, so he went on his airplane. He had an entire airplane with his entire choir that he's hired, over 150 choir members that are flying around with him while he's preaching gospels in prisons, while he's singing with this choir, while he's doing all this work. And it's interesting that James Corbin says to him, what if Kanye, he says, Kanye, what if nobody believes this? What if, you know, you lived a certain way, and now how can you totally be so different? Now you're saying you're living for God. What would you say to those people? And it was very interesting. Kanye West just thought for a moment. And he says, you know, when you go to sleep, are you asleep? And Corbin says, yeah. He says, and when you wake up, are you awake? He says, yes. He said, I was asleep, and now I'm awake. There are two different states of being. And I'm telling you, the world right now, and he says this, the world right now is asleep. But there's a God who loves them and is for them. And, and I'm like, come on, preach it, Kanye. Woo! And then the choir starts singing on the plane. I'm like, woo! Can God change Kanye West? That's the gospel. This is the story we live through and from and within. Oh, wow, hallelujah. I love Kanye West because he's a sinner saved by grace. And he's got the light turned on and he's living it fully for the kingdom right now. Amen? And here's the last thought. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's how you go to work every day, church. Here's how you live your life in your community, in your school, in your going and coming, your eating and drinking, your sleeping, your waking life. Serve this world. The Christian worker or business leader who has experienced God's grace, who knows you are not your own, you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, is free to honor God, love his neighbor, and serve the common good through work. You see, work is not about what you do for a living, church. That's part of it, because you should do something that you love to do and you're, and you're enjoying. But the higher value in work is that you get to be a servant of the work because it serves somebody else. 
And if you want to enjoy work like you've never enjoyed work, turn your heart and your thoughts to, I can, har- away from, I can hardly wait to retire to get away from work so that I can really enjoy life and say, no, 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 I'm going to enjoy life while I'm at work because I can serve this work so that it serves the world. Wow. See, Isaiah 42 tells us a little bit about how to serve. How am I doing? Oh, yeah, you guys are good. You can hang in there for a few more minutes. Listen to this text that tells us about living as a servant. You've heard me preach from this text before, but I want to expand it just a wee bit. Here it is. And you don't have this in your screen, but I'll, I'll bring up the portions of the scripture. But I just want you to listen for a moment. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. See the former things that have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is how we serve, church. You serve this world, number one, by dependence. Dependence, not depends, but dependence. The scripture said this, here is my servant whom I uphold. You want to serve this world? You need to depend on the Lord. It's not about your strength. It's not about your gifts. It's about God's presence and power and operation within you. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not talking about that you can do nothing. What he's talking about is that you can do nothing of eternal value. You can do nothing of eternal consequence without the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's my reality. The more mature that I get as a believer... As a Christian, the more I realize that I don't become independent of God, but I actually become more dependent upon him. I thought it would be the opposite, to be honest. I thought if I grow up, if I'm really a mature Christian, I really don't need God. No, no, no. The more I come, the more I learn, the more I serve, the more I do, I realize, oh my God, I can't do a thing without you. And so dependence is the key of your Christianity if you're going to serve from the narrative, listen to me, if you're going to serve from the story of Christianity, then you live dependent upon the Lord. Here's the second thing, you live based on the approval of God. This is what it says, my chosen one in whom I delight. You know, the foundation of Jesus' ministry, church, the foundation of Jesus' ministry was the approval of God. Listen to me. He didn't do his ministry in order to win God's approval. He did his ministry because he was approved of by God. And if you want proof of that, look at the baptism. He go, before he began his ministry, if you study that scripture, and you can read it yourself, it's in Luke 3.21. He, he shows up and he's baptized and he's, he's baptized into the water and he comes out. The Spirit of God descends from the heavens and lights on him in the shape of a dove, in the form of a dove. And then the voice from heaven speaks So we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one, all one scripture. It's so cool. And the voice from heaven says, 
If you had done more, I would have really liked you, Jesus. No. The voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. And in him I have placed my favor. And that word means in him I have placed my delight. And then it goes on and says these, three, these little words at the very tagline end of that scripture. It says this. And Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. Do you understand the foundation, the starting point of Jesus' ministry was that he was approved of by God? Do you know that you're approved of by God? That's part of being born again. That when you ask Jesus to come into your life, he does. And he gives you the gift of righteousness, which is right standing with God. I'm going to talk about that next week. Church, you're approved by God. You know, listen to me very carefully. <laughs> you can never come to maturity as a Christian until you know that you're accepted and secure in God's love for you. You can't. Do you know there's a scripture that tells you that in Hebrews? It says that, you know, they're so immature, all they can take is milk because they're unacquainted with the teachings about righteousness. You are accepted by God, church. You are loved by God. You can't do anything to ruin that. You say, well, that sounds ridiculous. Well, I didn't pick you. God picked you. I wouldn't have picked most of you. I wouldn't have picked me. But God did. Come on. Amen. Amen. Okay, so then, so I'm trying to serve. I'm serving at work. I, I, you know, I'm called by God. I, I'm loved by God. I'm anointed now. That's the third thing is that I'm anointed. He says, I will put my spirit on him. You know, God wants to anoint you to do your work. You know, the greatest plumber in the world is Jesus. The greatest carpenter in the world is Jesus. The greatest IT specialist in the world is Jesus. The greatest doctor in the world is Jesus. The greatest nurse in the world is Jesus. Do you understand that Jesus wants to live his life through you? Whatever you do, wherever you are, the kingdom of God is in you. He's with you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to me, church. You're at work. Start saying, God, I need your help right now. Show me what to do in this situation. God knows what to do. The greatest gift of wisdom is waiting for you. You live from a narrative. You live from a story that is the greatest story ever told. You can serve this world, church. You can comfort the brokenhearted. You can bring good news to the poor. You can announce freedom for the captives. You can rebuild and revive the ruined places. Oh my goodness, am I going to talk about that next week, about what's happening in Mozambique. I can't, I can't start because I'll just get too emotional. It's awesome. Serve where you're at, church. Modesty, humility, and motive is the fourth way in which we serve. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Who gets the glory for what you do? You know what? When you're serving God, just give him the glory. Just give him the glory. You know, Jesus was interesting. When he's watching his disciples, and none of them are getting up to serve when it comes to washing the feet of the people in the room, Jesus gets up, and the Bible says he strips off his outer garment. He goes down basically to his skivvies, and he washes the feet of the disciples. But here's the th three things it says about when he does that. 
Number one is he knew all things were under his power and that he had come from the Father, which was the second thing. He knew he had all power. He knew he had come from God. And then it says, and he knew he was returning to God. So he got up and he served. Church, that's all about identity. You come from the heart of God. You are born again because of Christ and what he has done for you. You know, you're born out of that heart and he's given you an authority and power to live your life as servants in this world. And one day he's coming back for you. You can count on it. It's the surest thing that you can bank on in this world is that Christ will return. And so if you have that to live for, can you just be a servant in your work? Yes. Yes, you can. All action flows out of identity, and you've got the greatest identity of all. You've been redeemed by God. Empathy, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will not crush those who are weak or quench the smallest hope. Church, you live in a world where empathy is light right now. We are an we are a world that is so hard on each other, so harsh. We need to be empathetic. We need not to crush people's hopes. We need not to snuff them out. We need to love them to the reality of a God who loves them. You want to shock somebody on the internet? Just love them. Love them. Listen to them. Even if you totally disagree with them, you don't have to answer right away. Just listen. God is good. You want to serve at work? Here's the next wing if you're going to be a servant of the Lord. Optimism or perseverance. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Pastor Maddie and I were talking during our 50-hour flight back. <laughs> I feel for people that travel for a living now like I never have. So Jason Michaud, I feel for you now that you've traveled all over the world all the time. So listen to me. We hear that word justice. He will establish justice. justice, And we know what we think of? We think of judgment. The world is unjust. Jesus is going to establish justice. And I get that that's true to a degree. But understand, justice is not about retribution. It's about deliverance. It has to do with moving people out of their injustice and into a healthy whole life in the community of the kingdom of God. That's what it, justice is. I see an injustice and I'm going to move to work. I'm going to serve to work in this world to change this injustice so that the kingdom of God, the justice of the kingdom of God, the joy and the peace and the wholeness of the kingdom of God will be enacted into this life, into this world, and we will bring the kingdom to people. That's a story to live by, church. Hallelujah. That'll get you out of bed in the morning. Lastly, faith. The former things have taken place, the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Faith. Why are we building a new church? Why does Higher Grounds send 
a care package to military families that are serving overseas and then, and then to their families back here. Why do we do that? Why do we set up? Why do we pay for church every week in this building? Why are we doing this crazy? Because we have faith. We see something, a kingdom that cannot be seen until it is lived out. Why do you serve and why do you sacrifice? Millions of dollars this church has given. Why? Because we see a kingdom. We see a hope. We live from a story that is the greatest story of all. It is a story that changes lives and changes eternities. I tell you, I'm 52 years old. I was at the wedding of my daughter, the wedding of my son who loves the Lord, married godly spouses. And I'll tell you, man, there's nothing greater. What a story I live by. And you may say, well, I don't have that story. You know what? God can still change your story. God can still change your story. That's the hope of the story that you live from, church. Let's live a life of service, a life of sacrifice, because we have the greatest story of all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you that his history is his story that we can live from his story, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, his begotten, his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, should not die, should not be separated from God, but should find life and life abundant. This is the story. This is my song. Hallelujah. If you're here today, every head is bowed. Go ahead and play. If you can, if it comes on. If it doesn't, just pretend and play like you're... There you go. Let's reset for a minute. If you're here today, you say, no, I, I'm not part of this story. I, I don't know this Jesus. But I'm telling you, he knows you. And he loves you. And he's for you and not against you. It's time to turn away from yourself as the solution or this world as the solution and to turn to, to him. And it's as simple as inviting him into your life. If you're here today and you're saying, I, I want to invite this Jesus into my life, this God who so loved me that he gave his one and only son that he laid down his life so that I could find life. If that's you here today, you know what? You need to raise your hand and say, God, that's me. I need to ask this God to come into my life. All of us in this room have had to do that at one time or another. And if you'll make that statement, that step today toward God and simply open the heart of your life, open your life's heart up to him. I'm telling you, he will come in and he will do life together with you. So if that is you here today, I want you to raise your hand right now. Yes, I see your hand in the back. Yes, 
I see your hand on the side. Hallelujah. Are there others who join these? Thank you, Jesus, for these two that put up their hand. All of us together are going to pray a prayer out loud with these two. You're going to say out loud, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me, to give me life. Thank you for inviting me in to your story. Help me to live through that story. In Jesus' name, amen. Give these two a hand clap right now. Welcome to the family, amen. Now, I'm not done yet because I think that some of you here today, and you can all look at me, you need to start saying, you know what, I need to appreciate or live by or change my thinking. I need to live from a greater story than I've been living. And if that's you, believer, here today, just give me a wave. My hand goes up. Yeah, most of us are saying, yeah, I need to live from a greater story than I've been living from. My self-centered story doesn't work. The world's story doesn't work. All the stories of the world don't work. But the story of God coming to man to rescue man is a good story. Amen.